Hey, what the fuck, heads? Welcome back. Uh, hope everyone's having a good week. Uh, I just wanted to pop in here for a second to plug a certain type of mug you may have heard of. It's called the Struggle Mug. It depicts Carl Uwe Knausgaard smoking a cigarette and drinking coffee outside. Uh, he's also looking at a tree, famously. Uh, I wanted to plug this because I have still like three boxes of mugs in my living room, and my roommates are probably getting pissed about it. These mugs are, how do I put this? They are, well, kind of like a teen pregnancy. They were ill-conceived. They're a huge burden on my life. Um, but I love them nonetheless. But I still am struggling. Well, you could say it's my struggle to unload the rest of these to the public. Uh, for this reason, I am making this appeal to you to buy a mug. Um, so that I can get these out of my living room and into your home, into your mouth. Is that weird? Sorry. Um, please buy a mug so that I can redeem the great burden this has placed on my life. It's a great way to support the show. It's also the only way to support the show since to this day we can't bring ourselves to make a Patreon. It would seem full of chutzpah to charge you for this drivel that we put out. But um, if for whatever reason you want to support us financially, this is um, a great way to do it. Uh, and thank you in advance. Um, and I'll even give you a discount code. You can use the discount code REGRET. That's spelled R E G. R-E-T, that'll be a 25% discount for a limited time only, probably, I don't know, a week after this airs. I write a handwritten note to every single person who buys a mug. I personalize them, often by simply looking at the address of the person and then Googling something about that place, uh, and then slipping that in the note for like a real local personal touch. So, And I also will include a pin I still have pins that a nice listener in England sent me, and they're very cool. They say our struggle, and another word that's often used in conjunction with the father-son writers, Martin and Kingsley. Uh, okay, so thanks for listening, and enjoy this episode. We were both somewhat addled, and I think it produced a good state of classic our struggle delirium with our new homie, Andrew Lipstein, author of Last Resort, out now has been likened in somewhere to Kingsley Anus, so I haven't read it, but it's probably good. I may read it at some point. Uh, the copy is currently at my parents' house in D.C., so I haven't gotten around to it, but maybe I will. Shout out to you, Andrew. Thanks for coming on, and um, in conclusion, buy a mug, discount code, regret, rstruggle.store. Enjoy the show. I think I think it can be one of us can be out of sorts, but not both. I think when it's both, you just get like, um, you know, it's like with magnets or whatever. Well, that means that Andrew Lipstein can know. bring the magic and the music. Yeah. I well, don't, okay. I don't know. If I, it's been a fucking terrible weekend. I have no idea. Oh, has it really? You've also had a terrible weekend. <sighs> oh Christ. Oh no! Come on.
but not for i mean it sounds like you guys are at the tail end of like a fun weekend well no not really i sort of am no i don't know if i'd say the tail it's more like i'm getting shat out of the weekend you know and i have the shit (laughs) yeah but then at least you feel like you earned it or it's like there's something like that there is why why is your life so terrible right now no actually are you allowed to talk about that Sure. Well, actually, yesterday was a good day. We we had a surprise party for my wife in Copenhagen oh, for her was birthday. Was it her birthday? Yeah. How old is she now? She's 35. Mm. And um, that was great because we haven't good really seen her wife friends to be. <laughs> well, actually, that's the age where now if you get pregnant, they call it a geriatric pregnancy. I don't know if you know that. I actually do know that. Yeah. Because, well, A, yeah. I'm morbidly obsessed with pregnancy and reproduction. And B, hmm. uh, my brother's girlfriend is an OBGYN. Or she's really just a oh, an OB. Yeah, she does nothing but deliver babies. That's all she so, does. Um, that is literally what she does all day. There's no GYN. It's just OB. And so um, just laboring. She's a laborist, in fact. <laughs> I somehow end up mentioning her all the time. I think just like it's this she's weird a motif. Like, vestigial you Jewish sound, thing where I want to be like there's a doctor powerful. in the family you know I'm yeah just, exactly I'm so pleased that there's a doctor in the family where is she a doctor uh she's at um some a hospital in Delaware Christiana Women's Hospital oh, <laughs> uh, oh sure sure yeah. yeah everyone knows Christiana um <laughs> but it's a I'm assured it's a very fine hospital for women um got a doctor in the family um but yeah what's what's the must what's going on with the mustache is that like a a dad thing yeah is it a dad no it's just way before my became a dad oh so it's been you had how long have you had this mustache probably off and on for four years five years okay what was your facial hair situation before that but the, but the thing is, I can't grow anything but a mustache. Oh, I see. There's so no beard. Kind of, there's no beard happening. It, it's it's like more on one side of my face than the other, and that's kind of my only choice. So you got a vivid you got a vivid stash there. I'm just surprised that it's not your cheeks aren't supplying the same texture. I know it's. I don't know. I have a lot of issues with my face. Actually, I can tell. I have some, yeah. Well, you're saying that you your face subjectively has issues, or you subjectively no. when you think of your own face, you have issues with it. No, no, I don't have like dysmorphia. I don't. Oh, think. Okay, because I, do. Um, I just wanted. I was hoping you did also. Oh, sorry. Um, no, I had like facial half of my face was paralyzed for a bit when I was a kid. Why? No, like, okay, like, for like a week. For like a week. Okay, it's this like is a, interesting. Let's get into this. Half of your face <laughs> no. was paralyzed when you were a child for only like a week. A, I don't think it's that uncommon, actually. What? Mm-hmm. I've literally like never an, heard of this. Really? It's like um, it's some like virus you get, and you know, I was like two. Did you have like quickie polio? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just yeah. a quick in and out polio. Um, <laughs> no, it was. I remember it being kind of funny because like, I was too young to kind of be scared, I guess. But right. my, you know. Like you couldn't tell when I wasn't when my face was straight, but then when I laughed, like I looked like you know the Joker. <laughs> How old were you at this point? I think I was twelve. Wow. 
you could did you try to get laid off of that just like when like i was girls 12 middle no <laughs> no i didn't you're like I yeah I my face was paralyzed i think i was still a year away from kissing a girl and maybe her cheek i think was my trajectory oh, but you could have parlayed this into later on being oh, like, well no, this could have been age... like your dark sexy origin story like when i was 12 half my you kiss um, and have your face paralyzed yeah, don't like. No, yeah, you can't at... kiss me on that side because I can't feel it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just spitballing. Um, I've had women say that to me. Really? <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. Uh, anyway, let's get back to this facial paralysis thing. So it just became unparalyzed. Well, I should also say that at the time I was like basically obese. I was like a obese child. Okay. <laughs> And so and you like, think I that contributed a... to the paralysis? <laughs> um, no, but I kind of like been, you know, I like leaned on humor a lot and I probably used the paralysis too as like kind of a funny thing to make my friends laugh. Right. Mm. What happened to the obesity? How'd you, where'd it go? How'd you shed that? Yeah, because for the listener, Andrew actually seems to be a rather slim gentleman. Yeah, very, very trim. Yeah. Yeah, I, I basically just ran it off. All right. But that's actually part of the reason why my weekend has been so terrible is that on Thursday I ran, I was on my wife's phone on a run and I ran into a pole. (laughs) It's, um, I mean, at the time I was like, I found it kind of funny, but like, I'm like, I've been contemplating going to like the ER for the past like two days because it like hurts to breathe. (laughs) What part of your body made contact with the pole in question? So it was so it was both my uh, like right above my heart on my rib and my and my knee. And at first the knee was the problem. I like couldn't even walk, but then like I can't get I can't get up without like support. So oh my god. Shit, you're in trouble. Yeah, that's that's an issue. And yeah, it's tough. And you know, if someone saw me do it and they didn't like react at all like imagine <laughs> seeing somebody like running at full speed just into a pole i guess danes are kind of very laconic and, and it's, yeah. yeah it's that danish stoicism yeah yeah especially Class- in that's town, actually classic danish behavior where are you in 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 Den- denmark uh it's a town called Kursur. it's on the opposite side of the landmass that copenhagen's on okay and what brings, did Drew already go through this with you? What brings you to he that? He did, show? yeah. He tried okay. briefly. Your, your um, woman is from there? Is that what's happening? My wife is Danish and her mother okay. is um, ill. So we're here for the time being. Okay. And how tall yeah. is your wife? Um, probably five, seven. Oh, okay. So she's like short for a Dane. You know, I've, I found that Danish men are tall, but Danish women... Like, I'm not tall. I'm, like, 5'9", and I don't think I really encounter many women who are taller than me here. Oh, I thought it was both the men and the women who are tall. I mean, I think that makes sense, like, biologically, but that hasn't been my experience. That's interesting. That's something to investigate. Maybe that's why you ran into the pole, the the (laughs) design for these giant guys. I don't know how that would really work out. I don't know how that works, because there is vertical... Um, that was a vertical pole. Yeah, poles are usually. <laughs> oh, I should I should have clarified. Yeah, the pole was from the ground to the sky. Oh, it was one of those kind of poles, the ground, mm. ground sky pole. Yeah. 
I try to avoid those myself, but I've run into a lot of poles lately, spiritual poles. Same. Just thwacking me in the heart. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? You got thwacked in the heart by a pole. Spiritual pole. No, but he got... Our man Andrew literally got thwacked in the heart by a pole. I know, that's that. Uh, I'm worried about it. By a his... stationary object. I think, I think Drew's trying to connect on like a metaphorical, spiritual... Yeah, I'm trying to build a metaphor here. That's what we writers do. Classic. I'm, I just want to like stay grounded in the reality, which is that okay. Lipstein got absolutely owned by a stationary object. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lipstein got pulled. You got pulled. Yeah, and you know, I kept on running. This was in the first two minutes of my run, and I was like, <laughs> I like will not go. I, I have to go on a run if I like suit up and like carve mm. time out of my day, which is kind of hard. Right. And so I ran, and then like halfway through, I was like an hour away from home, and then I was like, I don't, I don't. What if I can't make it back? Like I'm gonna be totally fucked. Like it's basically rural, completely rural. Right. There would be no one to find you. No. Like yeah. if I just died of a heart attack or something. Right. But you seem yeah. to have survived or at least these few days. Yeah. Honestly, I think that I would have gone to the hospital if I didn't have to, if there wasn't other stuff going on. Yeah. Damn, dude. You, you might have a crisis on air. We might have our first medical crisis. We don't know who it's going to be. It could be any of us right now, actually. We don't know who's going to collapse. It could be. It's kind of a little... I like that. That gives some nice frisons to the episode, you know. I wish I, had, pole. I, wish I, had, I wish I had like ski poles actually right now just to <laughs> support myself because I can hardly sit up straight. Uh, Talk about fucking poles. How did you meet your wife, Andrew, if she's foreign? Um, she was in New York. We met on Tinder. Nice. Ooh. Okay. Tinder marriage. So I'd actually studied abroad in Denmark like many years ago, but that was a coincidence. Is that what, but you didn't message her on Tinder about that? Like, hey, you know, I've been in your country. <laughs> hey, I've spent four months going to like American <laughs> bars in Midtown Copenhagen. She um, might have been impressed by that. No, when I told her what I actually did when I was here, it's, I think it was pretty embarrassing. Mm. But you got through that. Um, Enough that you decided to get married and reproduce together, mm. apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's talk about let's talk about reproduction and uh, and marriage and general state of of cucked domestic manhood. Cucked um, domestic man. You're not cucked if you got a stash like Lipstein, so that's strong. That's true. <laughs> that's strength. I don't think yeah, I can even grow a stash but, that, that, like robust like that. But we stopped this, the excerpt right before the most cucked excerpt in all of the Nowscard I've oh, read. Yeah, the thing is that we wanted to devote an entire episode to Rhythm Time, so I decided okay. to stop there. But we will very much get into the like the lead up. And if you want to talk about Rhythm Time, that's fine. No, I'll, I'll preserve that for... You're, you're doing like, this a little at a time, Andrew, Talmudically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think rhythm time is, do you think it's called rhythm time in Swedish? This is a great question. This is maybe something you can ask your wife. 
she may have like some cultural knowledge Context. about this. Yeah, I think it's called pole time. You take the child and just th- thwack them against poles. Too soon, too soon, too soon. Ground, air kind of poles, stationary, vertical. Yeah. <laughs> um, Andrew, tell us first, tell us what's your primal Kanausgard experience? I can't remember whether or not you're a Kanausgard fan or reader as you first yeah, not, got in I mean, touch with me a very long time ago. Yeah, yeah, I... Um... I'm not a huge Knausgaard fan, actually. Okay. I've read a bit of book one. I've read all of the Hitler section. Okay, tell us more about that. How did you end up doing that? The Hitler section? Yeah, like how did it come about? You were like, not going to read this entire book, but I do want to read the first page Hitler section. You know, I think like every Jew has like, every few years has an intense like, I really want to learn about Hitler week. Okay. But Mm -hmm. and I think I don't know. I heard I heard that what was maybe book five. I bought book five. He dedicates like a few hundred pages to it. But like it's so book hard six. to read as book six. Yeah. It's so hard to like read. Like he perfectly wrote what I wanted to read. Like I didn't want to read a history about Hitler. Oh, interesting. I didn't want to read like you know every writing about Hitler <clears throat> has to like fall into a category. But he just kind of had the liberty to speak about his life without like having to fit into any sort of like rubric or something. And I found it exactly what I wanted to know. Right. Because other people, like when they talk about Hitler, they have to do all of this, like kind of throat clearing, throat yeah. clearing. Yeah. And uh, gesticulating. And what's the salon? What's the thing Expert- where you prostrate yourself? Yeah. What the fuck is that? It's also very ab- abstract. It's like, well, basically, they it's just like have to be like, we want to be clear. Hitler was a bad guy, right? Yeah, they yeah. want to get that out of the way. And Knausgaard doesn't have any kind of piety around that. He kind of just yeah. says, I'm at rhythm time with my child. And it's the same <laughs> as going through the Holocaust. Yeah. No, I mean, it is. it is like, I didn't want to read almost about Hitler from a Jew because. Yeah, because but yeah, I get that. Yeah. But it was like beautifully objective, but also it was just describing his life as if you were describing somebody, you know, you were just telling somebody else about a person as opposed to like this abstract historical figure. Hmm. Yeah, that is very Canals Guardian. Yeah, we should be clear. Neither of us have read that section. Oh, okay. Uh, I loved it. Maybe maybe we'll get around to it one of these days. One of these days. Um, but I do, I do intuitively support the Canals Guardian approach to Hitler, which is um, to just be entirely subjective, not rigorous, interpolate your personal mm. experiences. To name, to name your book after his, or even to name your entire series same. about cucked fatherhood after Hitler. Does that mean that Canals Guardian himself? Is Hitlerian? Have we just, I think we've talked. No, on let's not matter. get into that discussion. It's so boring. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. But he also he also has nothing to do with Hitler, right? Like, I feel like when you hear about Hitler from non-Jews, they're always kind of apologizing. Oh, you know, especially European non-Jews, right? Oh. I think he does. His grandfather was a Nazi sympathizer. Yeah, I mean, any family, any family yeah. from that part of the world, one of your grandparents is going to be a Nazi sympathizer. Yeah, but I don't think he like feels bad about it. I mean. 
he is i mean that is one of the things i like about him there's no pieties whatsoever he's just like unapologetically self-absorbed um (laughs) and i think that's great and um but he, he wants to get to a certain kind of truth and the truth is going to come from within his own experience, not any kind of like rigorous historical analysis. Right. Um, or it's going to come there, from like meandering literary analysis. Right. Looking at the sky and just ruminating yeah. on it for five pages. Yeah. Five pages, 500 pages. At in least. this, in this section, in my science yeah. section, five pages. Yeah. Um, he does say this is my struggle in this excerpt. Yeah. Oh, does he try, really? What page is that on? I just try not to read too much into it. I, I'm on an I'm on an ebook. Oh, okay. I do love that he said that though. I love when authors do that. He says, um, everyday life with its duties and routines was something I endured, not a thing I enjoyed, nor something that was meaningful or made me happy. This is when he's looking at the sky. Nice. This had nothing to do with the lack of desire to wash floors or change nappies, but rather it was something more fundamental. The life around me was not meaningful. I always longed to be away from it and always had done. So the life I led was not my own. I tried to make it mine. This was my struggle because of that's course awesome. I wanted it, but I failed. That's I wonder awesome. if that's like intentional or if it's even the same word in Norwegian. It is. Yeah. It's min comp. Um, wait, let's find do you have a transliterated to that version? passage again. It's um probably halfway through. Shit. He's um he's just gotten food, chicken satay. Oh, this is at the organic birthday party. This is after, so he he goes back home. Oh, His wife hasn't cleaned okay. up well enough, and he's like, "You didn't clean up well enough." And then she's like, "But I," and then he just goes out for a smoke, and then. Nice. He has the flat Coke White. He loves the flat Coke. The noodles and the fried chicken, 45 kroner, an expressionless, hardworking Asian girl. It's like a four pages after that, I would guess. Oh, this, okay, we're getting to the sky. I see what you're talking about. Coke Light, he mentions Coke Light here. This is interesting because we famously do associate him with Pepsi Max. Um, hmm. I get um, Pepsi Max commercials on Spotify now that I'm in Denmark. Like, that's the only thing. It's a huge thing over it's, there. It's the, also, you should get Spotify like, Premium. It's really worth it. Yeah, I should. I should. It's really, really worth it. Um, everyday life with its duties and routines was something I endured. Not a thing I enjoyed, nor something that was meaningful or that made me happy. This had nothing to do with the lack of desire to wash floors or change diapers, but rather with something more fundamental. The life around me was not meaningful. I always longed to be away from it. So the life I led was not my own. I tried to make it mine. This was my struggle because, of course, I wanted it. But I failed. The longing for something else undermined all my efforts. What was the problem? Do you feel this way about your life, Andrew? When you're taking care of your infant child, you say, I wish I was somewhere else. This is also not meaningful to me. You know, I, I, I don't feel like that. I mean, I definitely, it definitely sucks a lot of the time, but I feel like if there's anything redeeming about it, it's the meaning of it. 
Say more about like, that. He says, like, I don't know if it's here. It's not boring. Is this in this passage? He says it's not boring. It just like lacks meaning. And for mm-hmm. me, like it is, it is boring and it is strenuous. But that's okay because you do get meaning out of it. But are you getting meaning out of it on a daily basis, or do you, is it just when you look back on your week, you're like, oh, it was meaningful to mm, take care of? No, this it's child. definitely it. It's being in you know in the presence of our child. His name is August. Um, what is his name? August. August. Wait, that's so funny. Klaus Anderson's son is also named August. Klaus oh, Anderson really? being it, the Canals Guard scholar we had on a few months ago. It, it's and a he, very, who is it's Danish. Very popular, who's dude. Danish? Yeah. Wait. Oh my God. It must yeah. be a Danish thing. It's like um, top 15 boy names in Denmark. Fascinating. Fascinating. It's kind of an older, older grandpa, kind of older generation name. Okay, that's making a But it became out. recently popular. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Interesting. I thought it was like Augie um, March. But so when you're taking care of your son, you're not you're not feeling meaningless of meaning you're not wishing to be somewhere else. I'm just trying to survey people I know about. No. This. I yeah. mean, you get is like you get joy and you feel love. I guess I mean meaning is a pretty undefined word, but I feel like if you're feeling love, that's pretty close to meaning. Right. But like today, I had him for a long time, and you know, I my chest is damaged. Right. And um, it like really, it really was a bad time. But I still had a, like a smile. I caught myself having a smile on my face. I, I'm this is something I'm obviously very interested I'm I don't know if you know a professional babysitter I spend for money yeah. I take care of children and um I, th- I wonder Gardens, if it's just a it? difference in Carol Gardens yes thank you famously um and I wonder if it has to do with the child being your own because I really adore this child and I adore all the children I've had um I mean to the point of feeling that I love them and um but I do at least several times a day. I'm like, this shit is so tiresome because, mm-hmm. you know, children kind of just, they babble on and they touch on the same things over and over again about the floor being lava and the train coming. Mm-hmm. And, They're so, uh, yeah. It's, it's really repetitive. It's really, really repetitive and tiresome. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I wish you could just be a little more interesting, even though you're so cute. Mm-hmm. Um and there are times where it's like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, I'm not feeling any kind of transcendent feeling. It's really just, it's just monotony. It's just drudgery. I mean, childcare at some point. Um, but maybe it's different when it's your own child. No, I think that's, that's a hundred percent it for me. Yeah. Uh, like I'm not someone who could, like, we just started him at daycare. And when I, when I see the daycare workers, I'm like in awe like I could, that seems like the hardest possible job in the entire world. Thank you. It's like one of them yes. to four. Yeah, I am a I veteran. Mean, yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I could never do that. I mean, I think it is completely for me that, that he's my son. Right. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Huh. I guess I'll just have to have my own kid and, you know, reconsider this at some point. Just pop one out in the next couple of years revisit that idea um but like it's it is be, but to me it is meaningful like this job it feels way more meaningful to me than any other type of job I've had and um I love it but it's still like acutely monotonous sometimes mm. um 
but you baby you babysit they're older i mean they're what four or five yeah i have a four-year-old and a nine-year-old right now i always spend most of my time with a four-year-old so they're much more i mean they're they have personalities and you're they do they do yeah and it's fascinating i mean it really is but it's just like you know after so many hours it's like you know i get you know i get it man you know there's sharks there's lava uh, we're going to get on a train to go to the park and I, it's, um, and it's interesting grammatically too. I mean, like the language is super interesting and it, one of my aims is to be able to like recreate four-year-old language and a story. Um, but it's still like, I am by the end of my shift being like, Oh my God, how many minutes do I have left? Like how many more times are we going to have to go through this narrative about the floor being lava? Um, and but yeah, that's interesting. Maybe yeah, maybe when you're a parent, it isn't as fucking tiresome. I don't know. But it's what I something I love about Kanausgard is he's just saying I this is total drudgery to me. Um, which I think would be a lot less acceptable in a woman if they admitted that about their own child. But he, I mean, but he's so hung up on the idea of like emasculation too. Right. It feels like his whole opinion about parenthood is like severely couched in being a man it is yeah yeah i want to yeah talk more about your impression of of his characterization of fatherhood as a as a father yourself well that aspect of it i did find like a little boring because i feel like a lot of what he says could be basically summed up in a single word which is emasculating Mm. he's basically he, he openly resents being made to feel like a woman Mm-hmm. And that's maybe an interesting thought, but I feel like he just keeps on repeating that. He, he resents other yeah. men for, for being fathers, even though he's pushing a stroller. And I mean, at the rhythm time class, of course, the instructors, as he says, like he describes her in very kind of weird, almost like sexless terms of being so attractive and he can't have her. And he like feels humiliated by it. It's just so weird to me. So you never, you, ever, you never, you personally never feel humiliated. I was about to ask, do you ever feel emasc- emasculated? Yeah. How emasculated are you feeling on a daily basis? How's it going? How's that Where going? we are now, I don't feel like I'm like in public. So I right. think you kind of need that element to feel emasculated. But back when we were in Brooklyn, I mean, we live in Cobble Hill. like Right. Yeah. That is a bastion of emasculation. Yeah. Neutralization. Exactly. You, you get some props for like wearing a baby Bjorn. Right. You do. Oh. You feel like people are like giving you the nod across the street. They're like, nice. I've never felt like people in public, like I never felt like I was like a likable person on the street until I had a baby strapped to my chest. Okay. Tell me more about that. That's fascinating. I mean, I just never felt like, you know, people would ever smile at me for no reason. Sad. Yeah. Um, but when I'm walking with my, with my, when he was an infant, um, I mean, I think one time a guy stopped his car and rolled down the windows and just he pointed at me and said, there's like there are like a bunch of young guys in the car. And he just pointed at me and said, yeah, that's what I'm fucking talking about. And I guess, <laughs> it, I guess it was just that I was walking with uh, our son. He was just he was just strongly approving of you being yeah. with your kid. Yeah. I mean, he didn't. He didn't say more, but that's. My he didn't assumption. expand on that because probably because he was in a car. It's it was just a drive-by nod of approval. Of approval. Yeah. 
Mm. It's too bad that no Danish person shouted that at you when you ran into the pole. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if they did, that probably would have made. (laughs) I mean, they probably would have been making. The pole guy. Yes, that is what I am talking about. (laughs) I love it. I love to see the American run into a pole. His accent is extremely German. <laughs> this is so humorous to me. <laughs> but that person, like, does he has been five nine Americans run into to a do hole? It. <laughs> yeah. Like they constantly drive, watching <laughs> runners just waiting, and then it happened. It must happen for that person like once every decade. That was a. That they, could have been a big day. Yeah, but no one saw it besides that one woman who just stared at me. <laughs> well, here's another question: If you had run into a pole in Cobble Hill. How do you think that would have been received? I thought people would have gone up to me and asked if I was okay in a way I wouldn't have liked because they wouldn't have helped me and it would just make me feel humiliated. Would that have been emasculating? Oh, I've, I've ate shit. I ate shit in Cobble Hill Park in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. I like don't walk where, watch where I run. I constantly step in dog shit. <laughs> and in fact, at the, at the end of this run where I ran into a pole, I also stepped in dog shit. <laughs> But Cobble Hill and I'm sure Carroll Gardens is like littered with dog shit. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Well, it's yeah. huge. I mean, you can't walk more than two feet in that part of Brooklyn without seeing a really passive aggressive sign about um, dog poop. And someone people too. are obsessed yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. I yelled at a guy in Park Slope for not picking up his dog shit once. Nice. So you're one of those guys, huh? Yeah, it was a bad day and yeah. people should know. So. All right. Yeah. You gotta guard the side. Did you now? Do you feel like you got unemasculated by that when you yelled at that guy? I mean, it's always great to yell at people in public. Like, yeah. I mean, that's very masculating. Very masculine. What's the? What's the? Yeah, is it masculating? What's the? I like it. We should invent that word if it's real already. Masculating. Yeah, I'm gonna try. You know, Will Self in that essay. Remember, he was talking about being. If my life hasn't been so maculate. Immaculate, like as opposed to immaculate. Oh well, Will my life has been rather immaculate. He's a fussy little. He's a little. I know, but I kind of do like that for him. I just need to get water. I was very intimidated by that man's vocabulary. Classic male. Classic. Needing to get water. I was just talking to a um, British friend about him, and about Will Selfie. Yeah, exactly. Because I was saying that I was going on this podcast and I mentioned him. Yeah. And she was saying, I mean, she had a lot of opinions about why he wasn't um, popular anymore. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if popular is the right word, but. Well, he's coming back into fashion after appearing on. He is. Yeah. He's having a renaissance. As our, say. You know, we got, we got Norman Rush back in the mix. We're a very powerful organ now of uh, you know, literary broadcasting. We're about to get Lipstein's name. But why was it? Because Mating was everywhere when you guys had that episode. Well, why was we, everyone reading? We engineered Mating? it. We, we we were engineered it um, very subtly. We seeded it. I've been I've been seeding it for months. When I first, no, one of the first things I said when I got to New York is, "Have uh, you read Mating?" I just went up to everybody in a bar and said, "I was I was in." By everybody, he means every woman. That's how I emasculated myself. You know. Yeah. Well, actually, it's sort of maybe that's emasculating. I'm, I don't know. It's a strange gender question, but yeah, just 
talked up uh, mating to everybody. And, um, you know, by the time it came time, by the time it came time to record, it was just in, it was in the atmosphere. But actually, that's a good question. I don't, there, there, were, there could have been some other uh, buzzing going on. It's hard to know how these things work. I like Certain you people... asking women if they've heard of the book Mating because they probably think it's like a the game type book and not right. Oh, interesting. Literary fiction from. Well, what? there is a renaissance, as I've said many times, among the literary women of New York. Now um, they're all reading Mating. And or then maybe that's now over. I don't know what they're going to switch to. It's a big question. Like, what are these girls going to be reading? A lot of these girls happen to be writing books now, you know. And um, I'll always read a book by by a nice young woman. I can't wait to get. Yeah, that's one of Drew's new things. (laughs) What is it? If a woman has a book, I'll read it. That's my new line. I'm trying on. (laughs) I I sort of stumbled into it just now. If a woman writes a book, I'll read it. I can't. I can't say the same for a a man. Drew, do you have a girlfriend, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, no, I don't at the moment. No. Can you believe that, Andrew? Can you believe that this specimen doesn't have <laughs> I a I mean, girlfriend? if he's willing to read their books, I don't see the problem. But Well, maybe that's my new, this is my new ploy. It's not even a ploy. Yeah. It's, too, it's too cynical. It's just my new, <laughs> I was going to say strategy. I can't find the right word. It's just my new, my new method. Oh, what the fuck am I trying to say? I'm trying to open up. I'm trying to open up. Um. And I want it, I want them to know that I will read it. Um, and maybe I will get a girlfriend soon. Although we'll it's not looking so promising. <laughs> it's not looking that promising. I might have to move to Denmark. <laughs> I don't know if you've had if you'd have more luck here, but um well, the women aren't apparently any taller, so that wouldn't really be too much of a... But they're used to men who are taller, so it's... Oh, that's true. Your competitive advantage would be less, yeah. I guess. Well... Because Drew's, Drew's, like a, Drew's like a tall six, three and... Oh, what yeah. is it? Three quarters? Drew, get over here. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be there. Well, actually, I made a mistake. I'm actually going to Israel soon, so I fucked it all up. How tall are the women in Israel? Or how tall I, are the men, I guess? I imagine not not so tall. Because Oded's not very tall. No offense to Oded. Should we not reveal that on the pod? Oded's Oda, true height. Odav feels okay about his height. I think that can be revealed. Okay. Because Oded's probably it, what, like tall 5'7? Tall 5'7? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not good at gauging heights. I don't carry around a pole with measurements. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that, mm. but um, yeah, maybe I should switch my. T- Although unfortunately, I don't even have a working passport right now. It's all a bit of a mess. You really need a passport, sweetie. Like famously, if you want to travel internationally, you, you need, need one? a passport. It's yeah, like but it takes forever. It takes forever to get a passport, so you but should I've, get on it. <laughs> well, I don't have. I only have like two weeks now, but I've heard you can get. There's a place that they can rush it. No. <laughs> No, just like trust Norman me. Norman Rush it? It took, okay, us, I, it took us four months to get our son a passport. Well, I Shit. guess the Israel trip is a no-go. 
But isn't the thing with child passports, like both the mom and the dad have to go in person to the post office to get it for some um, reason? I just know this mm. from talking to families I've worked for. Did you and your wife have to both go in person? I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe we did, actually. It was such a terrible experience. It sounds awful. Um, but yeah, it's mostly for custody. That's the reason why babies have passports for custody issues. Oh, say more about that. Well, why should a baby? I mean, they take a picture of the baby, but it's like an infant. When he's five, he'll have the same passport and they'll be able to tell it's him by what he looked like when he was four weeks old. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, how does that help with custody, the passport? Um, because I think that if somebody is, you know, there's a custody dispute, someone can more easily take a baby out of the country if there's no documentation for that baby. Oh, because yeah. like, why was a baby? Why does a baby need a baby is basically, you yeah, know, I agree with lump. that. Babies, they're basically just a lump. You don't need, a, a, lot, you don't need a passport yeah. for your laptop. Why would you need a passport for a baby? <laughs> exactly. Um, there's something else here about new fatherhood. Okay, hold on. I want to see how you feel about this passage, Andrew. This is on page a little before the end of our assigned reading. Uh, this is actually a very affecting passage about how falling in love with Linda. Um, this is the six months passage. The six months passage of being deliriously in love with Linda. The state lasted for six months. For six months, I was truly happy, truly at home in this world and in myself before slowly it began to lose its luster. And once more, the world moved out of my reach. You feel that way about falling in love with your wife, Andrew, after six months? Like, eh. I, I, when I read the this, the world I, has I, moved out of my reach. I couldn't believe he wrote six months because when you read a passage like this, you expect them to be like, give a, a, a range or be like, you know, sort of unable to recount time because of yeah. this warp. But he's like, it was six, it was two financial quarters, you know, it was six <laughs> exactly. months. Famously, um, love is like Q3, Q4. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Well, they do say you know? like May to December or whatever that phrase is. Oh, um, right. No, I think that's, I mean, he seems like kind of like a broken person sometimes. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think he he's like selfish to the point of I can imagine him falling in love. You know, you, you have friends who, when they fall in love, it's kind of more about themselves than the person. They're oh, interesting. In love with. It's about like the narrative, the myth they're creating. Exactly, and then that big takes about six months for them to realize <laughs> that the person who they're dating isn't the image that they have created. Oh, sometimes it takes. Months. Sometimes you get six days. You know, these I build the myth very quickly, but then you know you have that realization. But do you feel like better. your the love you feel for your wife has lost its luster at least a little bit? <laughs> no, um, no. I'm just mean, trying to get someone to admit this on air. No, I mean the it's been so we moved in together like a few months before the pandemic. Okay. And we lived in a studio apartment together. Wow. And both worked from home, and in that time we got engaged and um, conceived. Wow. Okay. So things happen fast. Kind yeah, of. but we had been but we had been dating for maybe two or three years before that. Oh, okay. Um, did the conception augment yeah. your love? Did it add some new textures? 
Um, do you mean do you mean the act itself or? Oh, uh, I'm not sure. I just wanted to use that word. The act, no, the acts and the knowledge and the. Well, I will say that uh, among my wife's generation in Denmark, like nobody gets married. Interesting. Basically. You only do if the only couples we know who are married are mostly one of them is from another country. And it's more kids. But they have kids. They have kids, yeah, but they're not married. But they don't get married. Okay. Because it's more of a, all their parents are divorced and it's like. Oh, interesting. Thing. It's like more of a state. It's more of a church. It's more of a state thing. Huh. Was, the, was the conception premeditated or was it? <laughs> yeah. Much, um, <laughs> I mean, was it directed? I'm just wondering. It, it actually was I always not. Wonder... I'll, I'll tell you. It was premeditated, actually. The day that nice. we decided to start, thank you. The day that we started, <laughs> decided to start crying, uh, I proposed to her. Oh, uh, wow. So, but, you know, when we, by the time we actually, we got married, like, officially, which mm-hmm. wasn't a real wedding wedding, we were already pregnant, but didn't. So really it was a shotgun. Family that was, no, I mean, we'd already planned it, and we only really got married, married so soon because we wanted to travel. Right. Mm, I just wonder what it's like to fuck in that context like that's so loaded i just wonder what, like what the flavor of i'm sure there's like get. youtube videos. i can't imagine it's sort of like a project that you're engaging in a, well, a biological think, you know, project like, in literature and netflix <laughs> this is movies, really profound <laughs> there's like a, a trope of like you know when you're trying to conceive and you have trouble then it mm-hmm. becomes this like egg timer you know, like sort of right. chore that saps all the love out of it. But this is really was, not a problem Knausgaard has, as he seems to apparently be. Apparently not. No. Really have no problem with um. What's the word? I just the think virility. I, he seems to be really prolific. If I were in that case, I think I'd go impotent. I'd actually feel emasculated somehow. It would be too much pressure. You mean to try to conceive or to be? That's a, right. Yeah, I, I it was a premeditated conception attempt. Well, it's not like premeditated in that like you s- send a Google invite. It's more like. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. It's just right. This is all very foreign to me. Well, it? I don't. I could send you some links after, but it has Thank more you. to do with what you don't do when you have sex. Mm. You don't pull okay. out. You, you know, <laughs> Law said there's there's actually a bunch of different ways to protect yourself, Drew, and. <laughs> Maybe Warren can fill you in, or maybe Austin. We will start a little. I need, I need your help, man. Libsyn <laughs> Google folder. Yeah, we could talk man to man. Let's connect after this. And... <laughs> do you guys? When you guys were in sex ed, did they t- teach you about the jam and the jelly? What spermicide? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I've never encountered that in the wild. No, I I think the textbooks were outdated, um, but I just. It feels like a figment of like my childhood that stands out because it I've never heard of that. But what's the difference between the jam <laughs> and the jelly? Yeah, the, the jam has seeds usually. Oh. Hmm. I don't know. No, maybe it's not the jam and the jelly. Maybe it's something else. No, I think that's accurate, but one year later it happened again, <laughs> if in quite a different way. That was when Vanya was born. Then it was not the world that opened. We had shut it out in a kind of total concentration on the miracle taking place in our midst. No, something opened in me. While falling in love had been wild and abandoned, brimming with life and exuberance, 
This was cautious and muted, filled with endless attention to what was happening. <laughs> Four weeks, maybe five, it lasted. <laughs> Whenever I had to do some shopping in town, I ran down the streets, grabbed whatever we needed, shook with impatience at the counter, and ran back with the bag hanging from my hands. I didn't want to miss a minute! Exclamation point! The days and nights merged into one. Everything was tenderness, everything was gentleness, and if she opened her eyes, we rushed toward her. Oh, there you are! But that passed too. We got used to that too. And I began to work, sat in my new office on Dalagatan, writing every day while Linda was at home with Vanya and came to see me for lunch. Often worried about something, but also happy she was closer to the child and what was happening with me. For I was writing what had started. Okay, blah. blah. Um, how long was your period of gentleness and tenderness with your child? Was it like four to five weeks or longer or shorter? Um, yeah, I think it was more a matter of months. Yeah. Nice. of being like uh, the running home i mean this this section actually does I so do this feel... actually doesn't seem like little bullshit to you no this this i definitely feel this yeah say the more run, about that the running home the like you like go out to go grocery shopping and you'd be like you feel like there's a gravitational pull you're just like waiting to go back because yeah. you kind of can't believe that the i mean this is also is vanya is his first right no mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, I think it's also just going to be the first, but you just can't believe that it's like true. And I, t- I actually highlighted this portion. I totally agree with it completely. But then after, do you remember like a sensation of it? I don't know why I'm like fixating on like everything well, fading. Into no, because actually, he, but he, he does mention, I think this is crucial. But that passed too. We got used to that too. And I began to work. And I think because I was on leave for about five months mm-hmm. and so was my wife. And at that point, when I went back to work, it did sort of feel like my day wasn't about the infant for the you know whole of it. Mm-hmm. And, that cha- and that changes things, I think. But did you, don't you see want yourself it to as- be? Mm, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I don't think... I, I would be happy just being a caretaker for my whole, you know, day. And when, day how did the writing of your novel intersect with the development of your child and new fatherhood? Well, I, so I, I, I saw my last resort, my novel before we started to conceive. Um, but, but I, but I wrote another book and I was desperate to finish it before he was born because I knew there wouldn't be time um, and was able to do that. Nice. So you, you were able to write and attempt the conception? Yeah, I mean, attempting I, the conception is, you know, not time. It's not time. Um, mm, I'm just, if you're writing... Off <laughs> Andrew, the, how many hours a day do you think? Yeah, still no, working on this. I do feel like a lot of this will be cleared up with just one Wikipedia article, but <laughs> I, I think I think you I, might have watched it. I'm not sure I want to drag it into the light. I want to remain in the dark in a cloud of unknowing about this. Yeah. But I just imagine like if you're as I said to Lawrence scribbling, if you're a little scribbler all day, mm-hmm. then when it comes time to inseminate, it might not be much much juice in the tank you know you lose your life force oh. or on the other hand does the writing increase your vitality mm. and suddenly you're everything is germinating you're 
you're making a child, you're making a book. Like I'm just you were in a very fecund period. Um I don't think they interfere that much. I mean I don't think they feed off of each other. Yeah. Do you want, I could send you a schedule or something. <laughs> a little calendar. I need, yeah, maybe um, we could get uh, an itinerary or, or something going. We can do a Google calendar. Mm. Not that I'm trying to conceive any human, you know. Mm. I'm still trying to conceive myself in this world. I'm still trying to birth mm. myself, you know. I do. I want to, I'm, I'm so interested. And you pointed out, Andrew, that this is his first child about whom he has this feeling, these feelings. Um, something I have noticed is I've sat for families that have only one kid and for families that have two kids. Mm-hmm. And it is different the way the parents are like the parents with two kids are so much chiller and also just like so much less reverent about their kid. <laughs> like, oh yeah. I mean, I think having a kid a second time, you're like, Oh, this is, the same like and these like supposedly miraculous experiences are just repeated with this like unceremonious regularity oh completely yeah yeah i think i think how you feel when you first have a kid is not reproducible you're totally like ignorant of what's going on i also like at the party when he mentions that it's best to have multiple kids and then he realizes that the woman he's talking to as an only child and then he says something like so flaccid like oh one is one is great too <laughs> and she's like oh but i don't have a husband i can't have another oh that was so weird that part and he's like <laughs> oh, just, let me try <laughs> that part i remember that part it was really odd yeah oh. and it's like there's some weird overtones where it's almost like she wants his virility she's um like, really i smiled she said nothing all of a sudden i realized she had an only child but just one can be brilliant too, I said. <laughs> she rested her hand, her head on her hand. But I wish Gustav had a brother or sister, she said. It's too much, too much with just us two. Not at all, I said. He'll have loads of pals in the nursery, and that's great. <laughs> the problem is I haven't got a husband. And then she said, and so it's not possible. And then he says in monologue to himself, what the fuck had that got to do with me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember that part. Oh, man. That part rocks. Parts like that I don't know if he's if he's like aware of how he appears. Well, we often wonder about this ourselves. Yeah. Well, what's the answer? He must know that he's being vulnerable. I bet he actually felt this and in writing it on a page. He knows how he comes off, but that's the whole project. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's just what that's why I keep pushing this is I'm so fascinated by how he's willing to completely expose uh, these kind of sacred experiences as ultimately mundane or um, tiresome. I mean, love and, and child and reproduction, both of them, uh, he says, are not enough, right? He says this in the first book, um, Am I on mute for some reason? I thought I was on mute. But he does say this in, I think, one of the first pages of the of the of the first book. He says, I love my children, I'll do anything for them, but they are not enough for me. They do not provide enough meaning to fill a whole life. 
Mm-hmm. And with this excess longing for meaning, the only thing I can do is burn it up in writing. Um, and that's like kind of haunted me ever since I wrote it. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what this book is about. Yeah, he he's kind of putting parenthood as the, you know, exact reciprocal of writing throughout. Interesting. Which I think is, which I think is probably the most brilliant part of what I've read of book two so far. Parenthood as a reciprocal of writing. Or they're, you know, complete, they exist in different, they're totally the inverse of the other. Mm-hmm. Or one cannot supplant the other. Well, this is but why he, all these segments of his going to his office, you know, there was like physically demarcated spaces. They are, yeah. He, um, he, he writes, he, when he writes about those two passages that he's so proud of, <clears throat> it was such a weird passage. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. He says, he's sitting, I guess he's sitting, he's talking, oh, this is right after what is basically a page after the excerpt you read when Vanya was born. At two places in the novel, I soared higher than I had thought possible. And those two places alone, which I cannot believe I had written and no one else has noticed or said anything about, made the preceding five years of failed writing worth all of the effort. They are two of the best moments in my life, by which I mean my whole life. So he's, you know, saying that his family has nothing to do with these two passages he's written, that we don't know what they are, and that which apparently went unnoticed by other people. Yeah, and I think that's also part of what makes my struggle not actually that universal is it's very much about what it's like to be a writer, not what it's mm-hmm. like to be a human. Because mm-hmm. I don't think everyone has this experience of my life will be incomplete insofar as I haven't written something exceptional, as he says in the first book. I think there are people who are perfectly happy to like have a family and have hobbies, and that's a good life. You're saying you um, just like get the golden doodle. Go you can just get a golden what? doodle and live in Cobble Hill and be happy. You know. Yeah. What's a golden? What's a golden doodle? Oh, the worst, the world's worst type of dog. A scourge, the scourge uh, of the earth. Uh, I see. Yeah. Is there Some meaning enough in, like the, in, in the golden doodle and the, and the girlfriend and the the Brooklyn, or is that are you neutralized? Mm-hmm. But it is. I mean, he presents it as a kind of sickness, almost. Right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He's very. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is very vulnerable about it. But he also, it's like to him, it's so searing. It's like undeniable. Uh, And, you know, one wonders, one is, if one is thus far uncoupled and and childless, one wonders, you know, will I also have this sickness and will it also inflect my, uh, my family life if I ever have one? Yeah. But he also, I mean, he talks a lot about like wanting what he doesn't have which is definitely, you know, universal as opposed to this other thing, which is... Say more about that. Well, in this section, he he often contends with not appreciating his immediate reality mm-hmm. and struggles to, to see things that are in front of him. And I think mm-hmm. he even reflects this off of Vanya, which he does many of his 
worst traits throughout this excerpt. Um, and I think that's universal. I mean, not appreciating what you have. When he talks about writing versus family, he's talking about something very specific. I mean, after that excerpt, he talks about like getting reviews and then them wearing off. He says, after mm-hmm. every good review, I put a cross in the book and waited for the next. Mm-hmm. So he's not even, I mean, he, he's in a way kind of an annoying purist too, because he's like writing is the thing, not publishing books, not mm-hmm. interviews, which is of course part of the whole ego package. But, um, but he presents himself as basically a purist, which I found at times a little bit aggravating. Yeah. Yeah. He wants more. Africa makes you want more. Norway makes you want more, I think, as Karen says. Um, But I am interested. Yeah. So I guess you're saying maybe even people who aren't writers will always want more with their life. And that where, you know, that's where the midlife mistress and sports car comes in. Yeah. Or just the sleepless nights. Yeah. Or just the sleepless nights. They don't have the articulated sort of sickness of having to language oneself, narrativize oneself, produce art. But maybe that's more healthy than being like, oh, if only I had invited Samantha from that bar <laughs> on a date, then, you know. Well, I'm writing. I still think about Samantha. <laughs> I'm going to write a book about Samantha's working is one of the girls who's writing a book. Uh, one of the women whose books you will read if she writes. All, all Brooklyn is is full of you know women who are script scribblers. My blue stock yeah. is scribblers. Drew, how, in the past year, how much writing have you read of perspective? Um, perspective uh, mates, mates, or whatever. Um, well. I haven't had a very strong start to the program. Mm. Um, I would say a few. I'd say three or four, three or four manuscripts. They they've not been published as of yet. But uh, you know, do you offer love, do you offer some feedback or very very gentle feedback? Mm. You know, I don't give them the whole Ira writer's like workshop stick. I don't do mm. that. I'm very gentle. Just make sort of. I I just try to steer them very sensitively. I just so asked what's questions. like a what's an example of some of the feedback you sort of the gentle pushing? Oh, well, you know, I would just say something like, "You really." <laughs> I just I'll I'll perform a close reading of a you know a metaphor. I'll just I'll just try to stick well, to the language. Wait, what were you gonna say when you said that you really and then laughed? No, I was actually just thinking of a really dumb question. Like, do you really think the fa- the father would say that to the daughter on page thirty? It, it doesn't sound right. It's just like stupid critiques that people actually do say in, in workshop settings. Wait, do either but, you have? Do either you get an MFA? I I have one. Yeah, indeed. From where? The uh, Iowa Writers Workshop, oh, I see. as it's called. <laughs> yeah, and of course, there you know there was a lot of uh, a lot of reading to be done. But that in those days, I, I wasn't as um, gentle as I am now with my critiques. Mm. Um, but it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to be gentle. It takes guts to be gentle and kind, as Morris he sings. 
Goods. Goods. Um, Andrew, do you have an MFA? This is a fun game. <laughs> no, I don't have an MFA. Okay, nice. Welcome yeah. to the club. Yeah. And that's it's very cucked to have an MFA. So that's actually very masculating well, well, of you. I wasn't gonna say that, one. but yeah. It's I, very cucked to have I, an MFA. I, I, I agree completely. Yeah. You become more and more ashamed of it by the day. And yet, despite not having an MFA, you've managed to publish a novel. That's true. So that's that's inspiring. And I guess we should talk about your novel, which was famously published. It's about bad <laughs> art friend. Famously published. That's it's a good about word. bad art friend it's gotten some good reviews we don't um, have to talk about my novel we i mean stick to carl over <laughs> or, or drew's you know questions about conception that is the burning subject forget the women's novels or whatever um wait drew when did you graduate 2019 okay i think it was yeah who are your classes uh you know who are my who are my dudes my guys my teachers yeah your classes stars oh oh we got a lot of stars but i'm not i'm i ain't gonna name check them okay <laughs> they don't need to shine any you know more brightly than they already are they've got enough okay they don't they don't interact with this milieu, the podcast mm-hmm. milieu, because I, I took a different tack. I entered the... Uh, you took a different tack called not publishing a novel. <laughs> <laughs> I, took, I don't need to publish a novel. I just, I'm giving all this gentle feedback to women <laughs> around in New York, you know. Okay, I, I didn't come up with a good example about what the feedback I is. St- I still think you could, and I'm I, still, I still kind of want one. I know I, I kind of flubbed that, um, <coughs> as the case may be. But <coughs> yeah, well, no, I, I took a different tack, which is to say, I, I became a just a podcaster and feedback guy. <laughs> so, last resort, the new novel. No, you guys don't really do plugs. I kind of appreciate it. <laughs> Last resort. Um, Your now, publicist is gonna is gonna be so pissed. She really put a lot into getting this appearance. Your publicist named Lauren, no less. No less. I was like, when I great. found out your publicist's name was Lauren, I was like, come on, what is this demented foursome? Like, there's all this literary doubling. Two Andrews, two Laurens. Very low stakes, sure. though. <laughs> Very uninteresting doubling. It is kind of interesting doubling, but you know, I look for narrative everywhere, right? Mm. Everything's overdetermined. Overdetermined. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what were we talking about? <laughs> I think we're still waiting on Drew's gentle feedback, which yeah, is kind of steering someone in the right direction while not losing his chances at romance. Right. It's very. I mean, I think the reason I'm being reticent is I'm actually not very good at it um, because I have a tendency to be, you know, I want to be rather shrewd and perceptive Mm -hmm. and all that shit. And then you get the manuscript and, you know, it's always that conundrum of like, if you just give 
Well, that's why you need to find women who will never actually write anything. You just need to like hypothetically propose, like if you were to write a manuscript, I would read it and they'll be moved Mm. enough by that, that they'll sleep with you. But there's no danger of ever having to read a manuscript. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I like the conditional. It's just an if, if a woman. (laughs) Just go up to like some chick who like works at a investment bank and be like, if you wrote a novel, I'd read it. (laughs) <laughs> but then the problem is she'd probably write a shitty novel and then I'd have to no, try to get... she'd be too busy to write a novel it's just like me there you go busy life of a podcaster your life is so busy so so busy I'm basically at rhythm time what's your what's your day job Andrew what do you do for money? I work um, in tech. Actually, next month I'm starting a new job. At oh, shit. oh, shit. Wait. The investment so app. Damn. Yeah. So you're like in the real the real world. <laughs> How else do you think he affords to live in Cobble Hill? That's true. I don't know. Somehow, you know, I'm a pure, I don't know. I have a hermetic idea of a writer. I just assume you're, you're a layabout. If you're right well if we were here i could be a layabout mm. i don't know if you know daycare costs in brooklyn but uh, i know how much uh, i charge per hour y- <laughs> yeah it's it's a lot it's a lot oh. i feel pretty bad about it actually Conception why should you tricky business well the family i work for is not like wealthy um and that's kind of why i chose them is because you know they're cool actually do they do they listen to the podcast no they know about it yeah you don't think they do you you don't think no maybe they don't tell you too busy awkward oh you think they secretly are listening well i'm just wondering how they would appreciate you know being outed as not wealthy in their carol garden's enclave i mean do you think i should bleep that i don't know i mean i feel like you said they're not yeah, everyone in Carroll Gardens is a little bit modest. Carroll Gardens is definitely the more mo- the most modest of the oh yeah of it's the so Brooklyn neighborhood than Cobble neighborhood. Hill. Yeah, yeah. Cobble Hill is like Daniel it's Craig, new. Martin Amos, yeah. Rachel Vice. Do they all live there? Live there? They all live there in the same house, famously. But really? They, yeah, Martin Amos lived in the house, and then it burned down, and then Rachel Vice oh. and Daniel Craig moved in. Oh, I didn't know that Craig and Weiss were married, and I was wondering why these three exceptionally wealthy people <laughs> were splitting a brownstone. Yeah, they're they all ha- just roommates. <laughs> yeah, like Daniel Craig's like, oh, Rachel, can we talk about the garbage situation? Wait, I just who was wanted the third to bring one? to your attention Martin Amos. Mar- <laughs> right. Wait, so Craig is married to Weiss. Craig is married to Martin Amos. Right. Oh, well, imagine I was imagining Amos and Weiss. I thought Weiss was a a lesbian. Maybe she just played one in that Hasidic movie. Oh, she played one in the Greek guys movie, our man Yorgos's movie. Oh, the called? favorite. The favorite. The favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Martin Amos was a lesbian. <laughs> well, well, why does Daniel Craig live in Cobble Hill? Like, what does he get out of it? It's not. It's that. a pretty neighborhood. They have that nice Trader Joe's. Oh my yeah, god, the yeah. four-year-old! I was at—I would took the four-year-old to the Natural History Museum, and you know the Natural History Museum has this like neoclassical facade. 
he looked at it and he was like, it looks like Trader Joe's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's the Trader Joe's he goes to, the one in the old bank building in Cobble Hill. Well, I do love that Trader Joe's, but I can't imagine. Like, what does someone as rich as Daniel Craig do for groceries? He probably has... Trader TJ's, baby. A chef or something. Um, maybe he belongs to the Park Slope Food Co-op, which I famously do now. You just do you even remember? I do. I just got inducted into the call. I what did that, my firstborn son. What does that entitle but, you to? Um, great food at low prices. Do you yeah. have to like serve there? Do you have to? Do yeah, tasks? I have to work there. I have to. I scheduled my first shift for a couple weeks from now. I'm nervous. It's going to be stocking. What you're going to stock shelves? I'm going to stock shelves. But don't the? I mean. Like, I feel like I would do a bad job at that. Like, don't people do bad jobs? That's what that's what I don't understand about the co-op is it seems uh, very inefficient to make people. Yeah. Work like tw- two weeks. Work one. Year. Right. Because you lose all the training, you know. Yeah. You lose so much in the overhead associated with training. Um, but I guess maybe like... some of the tasks are so brain dead it's worth it. I don't know like stocking you have like six-year-old jewish women like even older there was a woman there was an extremely geriatric lady who was stocking the shelf while i was there and things were just falling down and i was like all right (laughs) i was like pick stuff up for her but do they have an age where you no longer have to work um (laughs) no they're they're so stringent about it like because there there are some jobs you can do that don't involve like physical labor so like, I guess you can be a greeter or like you can work in the office or you can write for the Park Slope Food Co-op Gazette. Oh, um, wait, are you serious? Like that. Mm-hmm. It's like the IDF. There's like, you can always like get out of it with like a bullshit job. From what I what hear. What type of I don't... pieces are in the Gazette? And why didn't you take that? Yeah, it seems a natural I, I think you have that you have to kind of get like, um, build up some karma to be able to write for them. I don't know. It's because it's not like something they put on the shift calendar. And I feel like it would take a lot of chutzpah to like, okay, I'm in the co-op now. I'm not doing any physical labor. I want to write for the Gazette. When in fact, I'm young and able-bodied relatively. Right. I mean, they probably have some of the world's most renowned novelists at their fingertips. It's probably Jonathan Saffron Four who has to write for the Gazette. I know. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I wouldn't even be accepted. My name is in there writing about fucking squash. (laughs) yep (laughs) he's doing lots of like weird contrapositive scenarios about groceries like what if what if squash was actually gay i don't know what would be an amos here (laughs) oh man i would love to read the gazette's piece what if squash were gay (laughs) it actually sounds like something that you know i'm talking about amosian scenarios like of, I, I, I don't really. I, oh, so you don't know. Like, I've read. I've read him, but but I don't. Backwards. Right. So he like wrote a book that's like oh, about okay. uh, a guy living his life back, a Nazi doctor living his life backwards. He wrote a book that was like, what was it? What if like all gay people were straight or something? Oh, he's a short. Story, it was a short story that was like, what if or what if there was hiring discrimination in favor of gay people or something? Like that? <laughs> <laughs> what year was this? It like, feels like a little the eighties. <laughs> like, yeah. It was probably like heralded as genius and um, oh, undoubtedly, and I'm sure it was. It was before the Cobble Hill era. 
but he loves mm. like he loves his perverse little scenarios is my point <laughs> is that so <laughs> was the what <laughs> was the one you mentioned real about what if hi yes I... that's a real that's a real story okay. what is it called Drew? Okay. we found this the other day wait which it was story published in like harper's the, the gay 90s. one yeah the gay one i'm thinking it's, it's straight fiction straight fiction not... Okay, I'll I'll check that. But it's not true that Kingsley is not his dad, right? He kind of just made that up in his new book or something. Oh, saying that Philip Larkin is actually his father. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I mean, there's only really one way to know. You have to do some kind of DNA I mean, thing. It just sounds like some. I think he would prefer it if Kingsley Uber. weren't his yeah. father, but they don't really look um, much alike, huh? Maybe if then maybe Philip Larkin is his father. Who knows? It's like um, Ronan Farrow and... Um, it's very much a Ronan, Frank Sinatra. And I do, for the record, think that Frank Sinatra is Ronan's father. I mean, they look, the face is identical. The faces are identical. And Woody Allen Which, is... Shout out to Frank Sinatra. Speaking of conception, shout out to him, if that is the case for Sire. Well, did he, did he have many kids? At that age. How old would he have been? He would have been in his 70s, Sinatra. Maybe even 80s. Woody Allen has a particularly not um, Sinatra face, too. He does, yeah. Yeah, he does. You're right. Sinatra is like heart shaped, and Woody Allen just has like jowls upon jowls. <laughs> no, you're right. Woody Allen's kind of busted, and Frank Sinatra's one of the handsomest guys of the 20th century. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't even know if Frank Sinatra is that handsome. He's merely like very smooth and charming. And in that sense, is the opposite of what he kind of looks a little sexless, I think. You think Frank Sinatra looks sexless? Yeah. I mean, he kind of has um his face is his face is a little too youthful. I Interesting. Think. Maybe he's a vampire. <laughs> Drew, who are your um who are your masculine heroes? Oh, <clears throat> <laughs> well, I, I was actually just thinking along these lines because I myself, uh, I'm of uncertain um, paternity. I don't Oh, know. I knew that. I knew that from listening to the podcast. Actually. Right. So I have constructed a myth. You know, my fathers are Philip Roth, Lou Reed, Leonard Cohen, mm. um, guys like that. What is it? An endless cycle? The size of the father goes on to the son. But so I just try to live inside a delusion where, like, on any given day, like, my dad could be Leonard Cohen. A week later, could be Saul Bellow. I don't know why I'm choosing only Semites. I guess it ha- I, I guess I've chosen for myself a Jewish father, even though. Uh, Do you know if your father is Jewish? He's uh, not. He's, uh, yeah, he's not, as it happens. Uh, he's 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 not Jewish. He's a dentist. Um, and so I I've chosen to uh, weave weave my fa- myth of uh, my father into a Jewish um, tradition. Uh, have you ever have... Um, written about that? That's a good. Oh my question. god! Has he written yeah. about anything else? I suppose implicit. I suppose impl- I've actually not. No, but explicitly hit upon it explicitly. Although 
friend of the pod, Odav, told me I should write a book about this shit called Boomer Dads I Never Had. Although none of the people I mentioned is really a boomer. Or like Bob Dylan, of course, another father. And, you know, I just, but, try, to, I just try to do them proud. But here, here's, a, here's kind of a serious question for you. Well, just because you said the boomer dad I never had, you know, it's obviously ironic. Like, is your writing as ironic as you? I, mm. I would say no, it's actually not. Uh, especially like in the podcast, I, I, I perform a certain self, which is probably more uh, ironized than, than, is, than my writing actually is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a difficulty because. I'm in some constant uh, anxiety of influence enmeshment with these dudes. And sometimes I wonder if I should just, I'll never shake them off. Right. But I'm always haunted by their voices, haunted and inspired, but mm. it's, it's hard to, it's hard to just do the thing myself. What about you, Andrew? You have any issues with Lipstein senior? What's your relationship with your father? Like, I have um, well, I have a, I have a good relationship with my dad. No, boring. He um, he, my dad actually is uh gotten to, he's very handicapped, and oh, wow. um, he he got an, he had an injury about four or five years ago, four and a half years ago, and I think it's like the biggest thing that's influenced my writing for sure, in very interesting impl- implicit ways. So how totally. would what would be a way in which it manifests? Although I guess if it's implicit, then maybe it doesn't. Yeah, it's only it's only really apparent after the fact. But my book is a lot about legacy and leaving your name for the world. And he um, had to stop working. Like you know, he he had a brain injury one night, and then mm-hmm. his you know he st- had to stop working and just talking with him about that and imagining how he would feel about that how he feels about that um i think affected me a lot totally but i think parents are i think if you are avoiding writing about your parents then you're kind of dodging the question really just full stop anyone who's not writing about their parents is yeah writing i mean i mean no well if we're saying implicitly Oh, okay. Then if you're not feeling inspired by your relationship with your parents or what they mean to you, then I don't think. What about you, Warren? Hmm. I have a very, first of all, my parents listen to every episode of the show. But second of okay. all, I have a very, I mean, just very healthy, I just relatively blessed childhood of having very functional parents there for me and I have a good relationship with them. But maybe I shouldn't be interrogating it more. No, I well, I don't think it has to come from a negative thing. I don't think yeah. you have to be like hurt by your parents and then work through that hurt. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. will say despite the discourse on fathers, I think actually my bigger uh, issue as a writer is that I'm always, I think I'm always writing to my mother. Hmm. Uh, and I find that her presence is uh, louder in a, in a way. What What's your relationship with your mom, Drew? I feel like I could ask you that because 
well about my conception so uh, <laughs> avidly so you know my my mother famously once said that um she made my twin brother into her husband and me into her lover and she um, is Jew- she is jewish then <laughs> <laughs> and so we're we're rather in, in, entangled and uh enmeshed i suppose but in a way your 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 brother into her husband my brother yeah he's her husband so you know he like mows the lawn and and helps her mm. with the computer and shit and i'll drink wine and like sing leonard cohen and watch mm. french films with her i mean it sounds it sounds a bit of a parrot like like parodic but it's kind of actually what's what's happening on the ground and and my mother and i had an extraordinarily rich and intense like verbal connection um from a very early time mm. um so i think that's why my writing is always like bound up with either her voice or things that i'm trying to say to her i think and in ways that i don't i don't even i can't even articulate so precisely mm. um until i get writing i think i sort of feel feel similarly with your yeah, yeah, I mean, my mom has just been like, I don't think I would have ever written without my mom. Just always made me feel like, you know, I could be creative. And I, from a very young age, connected with her, I think, on a very, you know, I think you phrase it better, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's very meaningful, but do you, but you don't write about that. Oh, oh, you know, you said you primarily write about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it. It's not even like it reappears. It just is the thing itself. It's like the, the texture of the language is everywhere. Mm, mommy. 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 <laughs> this is sort of new for our struggle. We really kind of um, dig into these, these primal relationships actually in our own lives, I feel like. Guess not, especially. Hmm. What do we even talk about on this show? I have no idea. I mean, the last episode, I, I don't, I can't recall because I was under the influence of Frunet. Oh my god! Yeah, I need to edit that today. I want to look up with this. If I'm making up this Martin Ana story, let's look this up. Straight fiction. Hi, Martin Anus. Still on that tip about straight fiction? Yeah. Maybe this was originally published in the Park Slope Food Co-op letter. I imagine that that story has some very objectionable things in it. Oh, no way. No way. (laughs) There's no way there's anything remotely objectionable (laughs) in the story. Straight fiction. Straight fiction, Esquire, 1995, in which everyone is gay apart from the beleaguered, though increasingly vocal, straight community. I like that he makes so awesome. straight a min- minority. It's like perfectly. He loves his inversions. Wait, so but what's the, you know, take home lesson? I don't know. 
it's just a you know it's just a, it makes you think man <laughs> what if everyone was gay apart from my beleaguered and increasingly vocal straight community yeah Amos is sort of like a comic shtick writer in the does he, he but does he get into procreation oh oh i mean because then it would have to turn into a bit of handmaid's tale but maybe with men kind of being oh. having to you know be like well doesn't of... what's her name hanya yana yana Hara? isn't her new book about like what if gay people i feel like this is kind of a misty and isn't it about like what if old gay people can get in like there was a gay privileged society in the civil war times i like tried to read the review and i got really confused what do you want about <laughs> i don't know i don't what's even what's the amy element of this novel it's just that she it's reimagines... something about what if gay people yeah. were the majority or something like this that's uh, not is that had... that's not yanagahara that's not to parody, it is, is in it? yanagahara's new book oh, okay yeah it's something about yeah I don't know. She seems like sure. if you put her in a room with Amos, they would like not be able to exchange a single <laughs> word. Now that is an interesting hypothetical. We should send the co-op. No, I, I think mean, they he's... would just throw out a bunch of hypotheticals about gay people. They would just try to one-up each other. <laughs> but she isn't she not gay and that's nor kind of is Amos. <laughs> that's true, but I think in 1995, like <laughs> you could get away with that more hmm. i don't know this is an interesting thing to think about i mean we well, just need to have amos on the pod have you tried we're, get, we're getting there apparently yeah. he's attending a showing of the play that we i would hope i would hope so really so i was yeah. thinking that i'd go for a second time myself just to just to ogle martin anus as i call him why do why do you call him that <laughs> well an earlier iteration of of drew oranger struggle oranger was a called Mar- martin anus that was my twitter name but then christian lawrenson didn't want to like tag me and things because he, he thought it was indecent of course i didn't need the same endorsement of the literary establishment that he seems to crave, but um, I, I do you, do wait, sorry, I have to ask. Do you see him as sort of a father figure? Uh oh, <laughs> I would say he's more of a he's like my rakish uncle or something like that. Mm. Okay, rakish uncle figure. Rakish uncle, he's led me astray. Okay, here's another um, Amos short story description. This one is called Career Move, published in 1992 in which the literary world is inverted. Screenplay writers such as Alistair struggle to have their work published in small magazines, whilst poets such as Luke are courted by Hollywood publishing conglomerates and fly first class around the world. (laughs) Makes you think. What if? The first class thing is kind of embarrassing. It's such like a 1990s way of viewing the world. You don't think that still is cachet being flown first class? Whenever the people I see in first class are like the biggest schlubs whose dad probably started like a like a pork factory this is your issue with it is that people who fly in first class are not glamorous or in they're fact not, not glamorous. screenwriters like in the old yeah. days a pork okay. factory no less no the people i'm always like i don't even look at the prices but they can't be that high because 
state of England set at a fee paying school, the narrator using a mobile phone, a mobile phone to communicate with his estranged wife and reflecting on his up and down career as a bouncer. Is that a, now, I'm guessing that's kind of a pun, the up and down career, right? And the wait, why is that a pun? Oh, well, <laughs> I don't know. Verbal. Wait, that's not a contrapositive, though. It's not. No, this is not an, an inversion or a contrapositive. It's just I'm just reading <laughs> descriptions of short stories by Martin Amos off of Wikipedia. You just going through the list. Or... <laughs> Uh, the coincidence of the arts in which an English baronet becomes entangled with an American chess hustler, an aspiring novelist, and mm. has an unexpected affair with a silent Afro-Caribbean woman. That old trope. That old trope. The silent Afro-Caribbean woman. <laughs> the silent. Uh, I, I, I do feel like chess in literature has fallen. It's kind of an obnoxious thing to use now. And I think that's too bad. You think? Say more about that. I just think chess is like metaphorically extremely rich, but it's such mm. like a straight male metaphor. It's such like a letting the reader know that you're an intellectual. Well, isn't it almost just that the metaphors are too ready? They're like, I don't, I don't think they so. don't need any work. It's just the, the game is itself a metaphor, right? Like, oh, I checkmated you or you're really. Oh, well, those phrases are kind of stupid. Like, I mean, they're basically football phrases like meet you on the gridiron or blah, blah, blah. Mm. But. Nabokov was into chess, wasn't he? Well, he's he Russian, of course. What was the I don't really, unfortunately, or for better or worse, I don't have a, my brain is like the opposite of a chess brain. Like I have no visual stratagems in my head. I, I can't move pieces around visually before. I'm very disabled when it comes to chess. Are you are you a chess guy, Andrew? I play I play like speed chess every morning, but I'm not like good. But you right. play it every morning. Yeah, but I do it while I'm doing other things mm. as a way to start my day. Okay. That sounds like it's probably stimulating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I and even with of... the child, you is it something you took up since? siring at a time or was it always uh, yeah it's kind of harder yeah to maintain that yeah it's kind of a lot of a lot of writer dudes i know are into chess really yeah. who who are we talking about odov oh odov's into chess they all play chess on like their phone yeah it's a big online thing um hmm. but that's a milieu with that I don't know much about. Maybe I should try to teach my. I should maybe. I need someone to teach me chat. I need someone to teach me about conception. And all how that sh that thing works. And then also chess. But you don't need to. You don't need to be taught chess. I don't think you can just start playing. Oh, you can just jump in. Yeah, you sort of learn by what people do when you're playing them. Okay, so that's like kind of why it's fun. It sounds a bit like conceiving a child. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you're maybe just... <laughs> maybe like if you're a virgin and you're conceiving, but that doesn't seem like oh, it happens okay. a lot. That... <laughs> Not that it never happens. You mean to 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 get knocked up the first go round? 
um, or I mean, knocking do... someone up is kind of a binary. It's not like you get better yeah. at it. You either knock them up or you don't. As far as I'm concerned. Um, right. Was... I guess being good at yeah, sex and conceiving are kind of two different things. That's right. I bet virgins would be very good at conceiving. Right. I mean, yeah, those... that's a good way to think about it. They're at the prime, really. And they don't know. And they just. <laughs> they're fresh. Uh, I bet you're Drew, so glad you... you came on the show, Andrew. No, I'm 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 happy I got to like interrogate <laughs> mostly Drew about, you know. Yeah, this has been a um, tough episode for me. I feel like no, I know. Well, you sort of lit my fire when you asked about my conception <laughs> details. And I felt like that was kind of a, a free pass in the other direction. And I'm sure yeah. it's good. He needs that. He needs I do need sort of this. To, uh... No, but I do have one more question, which is well, are you on dating apps? And I want to know what your the well, um age range is that you're looking at. Oh, based you on, ask. Based on your previous of... statement about being fresh just made me think. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> uh I'm sort of I I dither about on on Hinge. And in fact, this is actually it was featured in the last episode because the playwright recently that arrived from Flatbush, Matthew Gazdick, um, takes control of my hinge on air. But um, I only dab. I, I, I've only gone on one hinge moment in, in my whole time in, uh, in New York, and it was very, very early days. Um, the age range. Let me check. Well, it sounds like you're not really a, you don't really use it that much. So maybe you gotta- uh, it's more just like, you know, it's like my online chess. Like every morning, there's more into posting like nebulous passages of literature on his Instagram stories and waiting for girls to respond. Mm. Do you get a lot of DMs? Um, true, yeah. I you post some DH Lawrence passages. (laughs) The girls, do you ever ever read? Do you ever read the passages before you post them, or is it just sort of (laughs) well, that's funny. You should use find them on Pinterest. I've really gone to the dogs because now as I'm reading, I'm actually not always internalizing the words. I'm just thinking about what passage I can broadcast. Mm. And like I have something to find... about fatherhood, something about exactly. In fact, actually, there's a passage to I'm going to uh share, I think, today in a Norman Mailer book I'm reading. That's a, a yeah, it's exactly get ready, ladies. Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> Drew is here um, to read your um, manuscript. <laughs> Mailer doesn't seem particularly good at attracting no i know this is a gambit yeah well we were talking this came up the other night too because i I was much like in chess it's a gambit yeah Mm, there you go speaking to a woman and she said like not in a flirtatious way even and she said like yeah like i want men to know like i'm the kind of girl that like reads mailer you know like it Mm. it confirms me but that's so she's like a kind of guy's girl something like that she's like she'll watch football she'll read mailer that's a very intentional move on her part i think right yeah i mean there she was at this party talking about mailer and and you know i was out there with other jewish writer andrew i'm serious my whole life is just jewish writer andrews Mm -hmm. jewish andrew writer i don't know who's to but um and of course we'd been talking about mailer hebraic scriveners yeah, and then you know, suddenly we lit up. I, I'm saying this, but at the same time, I'm actually not a huge Mailer fan. Really, I've only recently gotten into him. Um, the only Mailer thing I'm a fan of is how he um, stabbed his wife. Right. Well, I was trying to sort of get learn a bit about how to be a misogynist. Um, Could you imagine yeah. if 
a writer today had done that? Like, what writer, like, if, like, fucking George Saunders had done that? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, he would be writer, the last person to staff if, his wife. No, but, he sounds but like who, such a mensch. Oh yeah. God. Exactly. Who's a popular male writer right now? This is a good, this is a happen. this is a fun thing to hypothesize about on air recorded. A... Which male writer will probably <laughs> stab his wife? Let's no. I mean, I, j- I just think to be Jeffrey Eugenides. What... Right. Um, I don't think we have the same editor. He sounds like a mensch. Juno Diaz. Yeah. He's toxically masculine. Oh, but yeah, he stabbed like, his wife. That's too easy, and he's yeah. like cancel or whatever they say. Um, like what what male writer say is kind of, you know seems dangerous and a little bit mm. like um so you drew um, this maybe your niche to exploit well yeah this sounds like go kind marry of... a woman and stab her okay do i need to write something first no you don't even need to do that this I is a great who... question andrew i'm so glad you posed this um I'm to ask the next maybe guy. can osgard <laughs> but he's not well, he he's a little too open with his yeah i, I don't think yeah he would. I mean, he would write like a 20 page, like 200 pages about fantasizing about stabbing his wife, but I don't think he would actually do it. Or how she like failed to put the children's clothes away in the. Right. Exactly. Like he didn't like the way she folded the laundry in this. (laughs) He goes out for a smoke and looks at the sky and fantasizes about stabbing her. Who would stab? Who would stab? Who's stabby? Who's stabby? Well, yeah. Maybe we should make this to our listeners. Yeah, write in, listeners. Write in. Which male Who's... author do you think is going to stab his wife? It has to be a it has to be contemporary author. It can't it's be like contemporary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. don't give male... us like a pass. Because Amos would be a great answer, but he's not. You know, today. Right. Um... Amos doesn't seem stabby. Also. More stabby than anyone I could think of. You think so? He well, who's who's menace. more stabby than him? Maybe, maybe like Jonathan Safran Four. I feel like he's repressing oh. a lot, you know. Yes, yeah, you don't stab unless maybe Josh Cohen. Oh, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Let's just burn all our bridges. That bridge isn't Fred, Josh already Cohen. burned. Well, he's not married, as far as I know. I've not he's yet. Not married. He's not. But. I could see him wielding a dagger and perhaps using it to inflict violence upon somebody who might be a woman. Drew, doesn't doesn't Cohen fit into your you know fatherly milieu? Oh, he does. He, he's a little too easy. Mm. He fits in too easily. But also, he's trying to. He's a claim bit too those... young. Yeah, he's not quite. Well, he would, he yeah, would be more yeah. like um, like a, an older brother figure. But, you know, I, I suppose I have a bit of anxiety with him, too, because he's trying to claim that tradition as well. And hmm. But he's I mean, he is claiming it more than anyone else. Right. Yeah, he's really... I would say decisively. So, yeah, but yeah. I'm actually he's way more Jewy than I am. Uh, I mean, I'm he's not... someone who is hard to out Jew. Like, yeah, he I mean, he's also knowledgeable about Israel. I mean, it doesn't get more yeah, Jewy than that. Right? He knows about Israel. Well, I'm about to, I'm going on a trip fact finding mission. Yeah, well, maybe not because of the passport question, but <laughs> I'm going to, I'm gonna go figure out what's going on over there with another with Andrew Eckholm. Mm. Yet another Jewish writer named Andrew. And um maybe then I'll be a bit more like my, my boy Josh. Josh Cohen. 
Warren, who are your uh, anxiety of influence people? Oh, huh. I actually feel relatively free of it. Mm. But I'm also not like as much of a serious writer as Drew is. Like, I'm not, I don't really aspire to write, at least at, not at this point, to write literary fiction. I'm writing a genre novel right now. Oh, what genre? Um, noir. Mm. Is it set, set in China? It's set in China. Oh, yeah. You, you mentioned Wait, you, you actually studied in China. I lived there for China. five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was a journalist. Yeah. Um, There's not much um, American writing about China. Yeah. And I think for that reason, I feel relatively free. Yeah. That seems um, really potent. Yeah. Because it's a fairly wide open topic. It's something I don't think a lot of other people like like Hessler, I guess Peter Hessler, but I'm not doing the t- same kind of thing as him. He, he's only nonfiction, isn't he? He's only nonfiction. Um, yeah. I also you're don't think fiction. he's that edgy. Um, but he's, he's very, not like, Hessler's more, like, measured and, like, um, more New Yorkery. I My, like, he's so, he really is quite objective. But you're writing and noir fiction. I'm writing noir fiction. And I mean, it's, it's completely very, different. It's completely different. I mean, yeah. but it's also, it's trying to capture a zeitgeist. It is, but it's trying to capture it in an extremely subjective, uh, unapologetic and Wait, what in a bitter way of the U.S.-China relations. I mean, it's like the noir, the story that unfolds in this novel is basically an allegory for the decoupling of the U.S. and China. Um, Are the characters and- Chinese or American? It's set in China. There's an American detective who's like a me, a surrogate for me. Hmm. Or, um, and I guess, yeah, I mean, like, but yeah, the thing, the problem in selling this book is like, I really don't have comps. Um, oh, who cares? It, Wait, it seems have... to matter in publishing. Oh, I mean, it does, but yeah. have you written it? I've written some of it. Okay. Um, and, and I have well, some... I don't think you should care about that. I mean, I'm not actually that worried about it at this point, especially since um, that seems so far away actually selling it at this point. But, Mm. you know, some Hebraic agents have reached out at this point. Hebraic? Hebraic? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Oh, I see. Um, Are there others who aren't Hebraic? That's true. That's like a needlessly no, I, repetitive. I, I feel like so, yeah. the top ones, my agent is Jewish. Yeah. But I feel like there's less and less Jews who are Asians. Oh, really? I think it's kind of sad. I actually just kind of assume my agent's Jewish. Yeah. You should ask him. You should email him right now. Her. You should email her right now. Say, what are you anyway? <laughs> that's, that's just his <laughs> subject line. What are you anyway? <laughs> Um, I mean, she'd probably give a very polite response, I think. Probably, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, to anxiety of influence, like, I feel like the thing I'm doing is not like it's so fucking innovative. It's just, like, it. there's really not that much precedent for it. And so... No, it, do, it does sound pretty new. It sounds interesting. Yeah, I, it's just such a specific area that not a lot of people know about, and that's kind of underexploited. So I think there's there's been more and more translated fiction from China, but it's kind of a totally different category. Yeah, that's that's totally different. Yeah. I mean, like to me, my precedent is like The Quiet American by Graham Greene, but that book is ancient. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, and written by a man. So Le Carre yeah, he's kind of, is an he's idol kind of, like, of mine. Not... Who? I don't know. Le Carre. Uh -huh. But again, like, it's a different voice. It's cool. We'll see. We'll see. How are you dealing with this light being like directly in your no, face? That light is so I love nice. it. I love yeah. it. I love when the light streams through my window around this time of day. I feel like a cat or a lizard. I love mm. basking in it. Um, I can't see. It's like your mouth is just. A it, looks like you're wearing a, it looks like you're wearing a mask. It does. It does. I'm just mask of light. This I love. Definitely... I love the filtering through the Venetian blinds. This is some great listenable content just keep... too. <laughs> yeah, people are gonna love this part. Is, I mean, you talk about imaginations. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is this is like reading fiction. This is exactly like reading. It's an immersive experience. Also, I would add, as an author of noir, one must have the light streaming through Venetian blinds at some point. Mm. Are so, you a little bit ironic with the tropes or no? Yeah. And it's also yeah. like very loosely noir. I mean, mm. well, it's mostly probably just like a dark conspiracy thing. Mm. Um, I do. I mean, I try to get playful with it, but. I don't fucking know. We'll see. We'll see, man. Just keep sitting in that ray of light. I'm just gonna keep sitting. Just in... keep rocking in that sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, it is really bright. It actually was annoying because I was trying to write at this exact time of day yesterday, and I was like, I literally can't focus because the light is so bright. And even if I like close the blinds, it's still too bright. Um, but that's just my struggle. <laughs> oh sticks the landing yeah it's, thank you so much andrew um well i think you know this is good app it's nice wrapping with you finally to connect to link and to build um the novel is la last resort last resort um it's very topical it's about as i read in the washington post something kind of adjacent to bad art friend yeah yeah um that must have been good for you when that happened right yeah sort of sort of um and you got another one in the pipeline too and you got another one in the pipeline yeah it should come out next year what's that about it's about a um ceo of a hedge fund who accidentally hurt somebody else and then doesn't know what to do with the guilt okay sounds mm. a little amissian i mean yeah a little bit uh, the the times reviewer compared me to kingsley Oh. oh really? Yeah. Okay. Wait a second. That's I would die to be compared to Kingsley. I would fucking lose my shit if someone compared me to Kingsley. I would be so happy. So congratulations. Well, thank you, Molly Young at the New York Times. Yeah. I wonder why it wasn't Philip Larkin they compared you to. <laughs> well, she wasn't comparing me. It wasn't my nature of being Amos's father. <laughs> oh, that wasn't what she was reviewing. No, it was more the writing. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. you know, they're very they're very enmeshed, these questions, as we've discussed today. You're exactly right, I think. So I still have a lot of thinking to do when I'm less addled. Well, yeah, let us know when you're back in Cobble Hill. You know, we can we can hit the the TJs. Oh yeah. With your son. I'd love to meet Absolutely. him. I heard yeah, your interview with uh, a Willie. Oh yeah, 
Oh, you liked the one with Willie? Well, because he's, I mean, his son's a little bit. He's a Carol Gardens yeah. dad. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know. Sound pretty. Yeah, his son just turned one. Shout out to Willie's baby, Louie. Wow. You guys should hang out and have your baby yeah. have a play date. I'll, I'll contact Willie. Yeah. That would be I nice. always want to meet writer dads. Yeah, you guys would get along. I hope so. I think so. Wow, this is really intense how my face looks right now with this like, <laughs> like fully in shadow. Oh my God. Okay. Well, it was nice to talk to you. This episode probably won't come out for a few weeks since, as weeks? you know, we have this other one in the pi- in the pipeline. We have to put that one out this week and then, well, maybe next week it'll come out. Who's All there? right. Well, I, I really appreciate you having me on. It was fun. Oh, of course. Yeah, man. Um, I'm glad I got I mean, to yeah sorry we're like such fucking layabouts and we're you know it's just we're not professionals as you well know but that's the charm um, but that's the charm we'd like to think so we like mm. to think so although I know charm may be running out as Martin Amos would say what yeah. if the charm being unprofessional was actually being <laughs> professional well that's that's like 2022 <laughs> especially what that's like working in tech basically yeah well and Martin Amos predicted that <laughs> Well, good on him. He predicted a lot of things, <laughs> such as that straight people would be the minority. <laughs> Finally. Uh, I'm going to have to read that. We're going to have to devote an entire episode to that story now. I'm, obs- I'm, I'm, I'm going to head over to Greenpoint to Ty's Loft and find Martin like, right, yeah. right after this. Um. What if my daughter was in a play? <laughs> Not so even like in version, just a hypothetical. Is in the play. <laughs> just a statement of fact. <laughs> it doesn't get that many lines though. She oh wait, his it. wait, I missed that. His daughter's in the play. Oh yeah. So that's yeah. why he went. Okay. Yeah. That's why he's gone. I thought he was just give a shit. groundbreaking <laughs> off, off, off Broadway play. <laughs> well, that <laughs> may be true. I'm just so off Broadway. You have to jump in the East River to get there. Another motif. So off Broadway that there's not even a really a door. (laughs) It's basically like so off Broadway that if you take a date, he has to bring his own chair. (laughs) That off Broadway. At any rate, let's not talk about chairs. Well, this is a lot of fun, so I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Let us know when you're back in in Kabul. Um, not the capital of Afghanistan. <laughs> we spent the better part of the day. <laughs> when you're wishing, but it is. Hit our side of town anyway, let's just end there. Yeah, yeah. That's a good finisher. <laughs> That's a good finisher. Absolve, absolve, absolve. I wash my hands of the stuff of legends and what news of the horizon. I hear it's all just a horizontal myth, so stop your cruising, start your criticizing, huh? Indulge yourself for once, feel medium between them. Goddamn, your eyes, they just had to be twin prizes waiting for the sun. They just had to be twin prizes waiting for the sun. They just had to be twin prizes waiting for the sun.